This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. The Cavalcade of America, sponsored by E.I. DuPont de Nemours and Company of Wilmington, Delaware, maker of better things for better living through chemistry, presents Boomerang with Frank Lovejoy and Everett Sloan. Before we begin our play, here's a vacation suggestion. Since we've all been urged to travel only when it's vital, well, let's make this our vacation theme. There's no place like home. Uh, one way to brighten your home is to redecorate the living room walls, and we suggest you use DuPont Speed Easy. Protect the weathered windowsills. Make your porch furniture like new again with DuPont Duco. Paint makes old things new. Paint protects and beautifies your home. And now for this evening's cavalcade, Boomerang. Tonight, Cavalcade brings you a radio version of a novel about a mystery vessel, a fantastic tale of American daring and ingenuity in the South Pacific. Our radio play, written by Paul Peters, is based on Commander William C. Chambliss' novel, Boomerang, as serialized in the Saturday Evening Post. Commander Chambliss, Cavalcade's guest this evening, will speak to us later in the program. The DuPont Company presents Boomerang with Frank Lovejoy as Commander Laird Kennedy and Everett Sloan as Captain James Miller on the Cavalcade of America. I wonder if you heard in November 1943 a brief broadcast from Japan. Tokyo speaking. The Imperial Navy announces the sinking of the Japanese destroyer Hokkaido Kate, 250 miles east of Mayana Atoll. All hands aboard were lost when she was struck by a torpedo from an enemy submarine. Strange announcement to come from Tokyo. 
The Japanese Navy isn't, as a rule, given to proclaiming to the world how its fleet is being whittled down ship by ship. And foreign official announcer to mention a specific vessel by name, it's unheard of. But the truth of the matter is that the Imperial Admiralty felt relieved when the Hokkaido Katsi slid to the bottom of the ocean. For she had become a menace to Japan, her very existence on the surface of the water a slap in the face to the land of the rising sun. But let's start at the beginning. The time was September 1943. I had just been assigned as executive officer to the USS Scimitar, one of those sleek little seaplane tenders fresh from the shipbuilder's yard. Her crew was strictly a freshwater outfit. Except for her skipper, James Miller, and myself, her officers were 90-day wonders from Quonset Point. Formerly a banker, a college professor, a commercial artist. As our first mission, we were assigned to a tiny coral isle way up near Macon to set up an advanced scouting base. Our orders were to make ourselves inconspicuous, though how to keep a full-grown tender and a flock of seaplanes inconspicuous in the middle of a coral lagoon, headquarters never explained. I was on the bridge with Captain Miller when Ensign Bull, our communications officer, offered a suggestion. You know, I've been thinking, Captain... This doesn't seem like the best place to anchor a ship. It's right out in the open. Jap planes are bound to spot us. You're right, Bull. But you don't see any caves around here that we can run the ship into, do you? No, sir. I guess there's nothing we can do but leave her in the open. Well, I, I suggest there is, Commander. What? Well, now, it looks to me as if there's deep water right up to the edge of the beach. Could be. And the palms grow right down to the shoreline. Well? Well, look, sir. If we move in close, right up to the shore... I can completely cover the ship with palm leaves and make her invisible. Palm leaves? Yes, sir. What's going to prevent them from withering and giving you a camouflage away? Well, you don't need to worry about that, sir. A thin spray of clear fixing dope will preserve them indefinitely. What makes you so sure it'll work? Well, you see, sir, I used to be in the commercial art game. We made photographs in the studio. We used a special mixture on plants to preserve them under the heat of the arc lights. I know it'll work, sir. Well, Skipper? We'll try it. Ensign Bull? Pick a detail and cut down your palm leaves. Here comes that Jap scouting plane again. They've been over here every day. They haven't found us yet. Yes, but they've got wind that something's up. Take it easy, Skipper. Our handmade jungle is still as fresh as new. All our pilots say that in the air it's impossible to tell the ship from the palms that ring the lagoon. He's going away now. Bridge from Sky Lookout. Unidentified ship standing toward the island. Can you make her out, lad? It's a Jap destroyer heading straight for the lagoon. Yes. I see her now. An Akakatsi-class boat. Twice our firing power and half again our speed. Well, I'll be darned. They haven't manned their guns. Looks like they have a couple of hundred extra people on board. The deck is swarming with uniforms. Yes, sir? This is the captain speaking. Give me the officer of the deck. Lieutenant Myers speaking. Myers, break out the Tommy guns and hand grenades. All you got. Arm as many men as possible. Have everybody but the gun crews stand by close to the boats ready to launch them. Be sure nobody is visible outside of the palm leaves. Aye, aye, sir. And, uh, Myers, send Bull Marston to McAndrews topside. Yes, sir. What are you going to do, Jimmy? Keep your glasses trained on that jab. They still don't see us? No, not a suspicion. 
What's the range? Point blank. All right, you men. Now get this fast. There won't be time to tell it twice. Aye, aye, aye sir. sir. Marston, you pass the word to use bombardment ammunition, not armor-piercing. Tell the main battery gunners to put their first shells through the pilot house, then shift their fire to the deck guns. Tell the 50 calibers and the 1.1s to sweep the deck till they've cut down everybody. Then start firing at the sides of the ship just above the waterline. Very well, sir. Bull and McAndrews, when the firing starts, lower your boats. Don't shove off till I give you the word. When you do start, make a rush for the Jap and board him. Tell your men we'll cover you with machine guns till you reach the ship. Then it's up to you. Don't spare the hand grenades and tommy guns. Yes, sir. Aye, sir. That's all, men. What's the range now, Bill? A thousand yards. I don't get this. What are you planning to do? Lad, we're going to capture that ship. How far away is she now? 600 yards. They haven't noticed us? No, it's all quiet. They've stopped their engines. They're piling into their boats. How far now? 500 yards. Commence firing. Commence firing. How they doing, lad? How they doing? Pilot house and bridge going with the first salvo. Once are raking the deck, the Japs are scrambling for the disengaged side. Away, boarders! Away, boarders! Away, boarders! Away, boarders! Cover, boarders! Cover, boarders, with machine gun fire! They're off! Five inch! Cease firing! Five eight. Cease firing. Bull and are swinging around her stern. Raise your angle of fire. Raise your angle of fire. Tell them to hold it. I see a tin hat coming over the far rail. Cease firing. Cease firing. It's McAndrews. He's racing for the engine room hatch. The other boat? They both made it. They're swarming all over the deck. Hey, Mac, look out. Be careful. What happened? Mac, he's been shot. He's reeling back. Somebody in the engine room hatch. Bull's pitching a grenade below. Well, I guess that cleaned them out. It's Bull again, standing on the wreck number three gun platform and waving at us. He's signaling in semaphore. What's he saying? Only good Japs left. Fine. Lay the scimitar alongside her and make ready to board. Fire's under control, sir. Good boy, Mac. How's that shoulder wound? Nothing, sir, yes, sir. Good. Now, uh, what's the ship's condition? I've been all over her, sir. Her watertight integrity is unimpaired, and her engine's undamaged. With a little patching up, we can set her back to Noumea under her own steam. I wonder what her name is. The Hokkaido Katsi, sir. According to her log, she embarked with 150 naval air technicians to establish an advanced air base at this very atoll. And uh, this book, sir, contains all the enemy's secret signal codes. Great Scott. If only we could read them, we could sail right into truck. 
Sure. But who can read them? I can, sir. Now, look, this is no time for kidding, Mac. You forget I was a professor, sir. You see, one of the languages I taught in college was Japanese. You know, Kennedy, these reservists certainly get around. It's quite a story, Kennedy. The hokey-dokey, eh? Yes, Admiral, that's what we christened her. Then we said goodbye to the scimitar and sailed her to Numea under her own power. And uh, that's about all there is, sir, except that... I don't know what you're thinking of doing, sir, but I have a plan that might help the Gilbert's campaign. Go ahead. By now, the Japs know something has happened to her, but they don't know what. We hit too hard and too fast for them to get off a radio signal. They'll figure she was picked off by one of our subs. That's what the Admiralty thinks. But the chances are the Japs on the ships won't know anything about her. Well, what's your plan? Well, I'd like to get her refitted quickly. Before the news of her loss gets around the Jap fleet. And use her as a scout. Their aircraft will recognize her only as an Akakatsi-class destroyer and let her alone. Any surface craft we see, we can give a wide berth. So, you'd like to poke around the Gilberts and the Marshals? Disguised in Japanese uniforms and pick up some useful information. If you're caught, you know, you'll be shot as spies. I've thought of that. I'll call for volunteers. And if you're not caught, you may be bombed to pulp by our own planes. I know, sir. Kennedy, there are times when I wish I was younger, and this is one of them. You pick your crew. I'll rush orders to refit the ship and get you those uniforms. <laughs> You are listening to Boomerang with Frank Lovejoy as Commander Laird Kennedy and Everett Sloan as Captain James Miller, United States Navy, on the Cavalcade of America, sponsored by E.I. DuPont de Nemours and Company of Wilmington, Delaware, maker of better things for better living through chemistry. crew of the aircraft tender Scimitar, on duty in the Solomons in the pr period preceding the capture of Macon from the Japanese, has captured a Jap destroyer. The ship has been nicknamed the Hokey Doki. Refitted and manned by a United States Navy crew in Jap uniforms, she sails out on a scouting mission. It was the 9th of November when, looking as good as new from the outside, the Hokey Doki pointed her nose toward enemy waters. I'd been told that D-Day for the Gilbert's operation was set for November 20th. And since our volunteer crew knew exactly what we were up to, we were all pretty tense. McAndrews, his shoulder nearly healed, was my executive officer. He spent his days poring over that precious code book, fretting about possible changes and revisions. Later that day, a plane was spotted by our lookout. Bridge from Sky Lookout. Unidentified aircraft about ten miles away. And closing... It's all yours, Mac. Send him a recognition signal. Supposing he's one of ours and sees us in these Japanese uniforms. Look out. Identification is essential. I can't be sure, sir. It might be a Coronado or a Kawanishi 97. That's a lot of help. Looks to me like a Kawanishi. I'm going to give him a blinker signal. Be sure it's a signal for the right day, Mac. And if you don't mind, Skipper, just let me concentrate for a minute. Well, for better or worse, here we go.
He's turning, Mac. He's making a 360 to the right. He's dipping his nose in salute and going back where he came from. I'm dripping with the heat. Relax, man, relax. At least he guessed that one right. What do you mean, guessed? Say, look at him. Smack in the center of our gun range. We can take a pot shot at him, a nice, fat, juicy Jap flying boat. And if we missed, have the whole Jap Navy on our tail? You keep your nose on that code book. I have a hunch before this trip is over, we'll have all the shooting that we can handle. The farther north we sailed, the tenser grew the crew. We snooped cautiously around in the islands, fidgeting in those strange Jap uniforms. Our hearts rising like a cork in our throats every time a light leaped out of the dark to challenge us. We were a hundred miles west of Macon when the Crow's Nest lookout reported... Bridge from Sky Lookout. Sail broad on port bow. What do you make it out to be, lookout? Can't be sure, sir. But there appear to be four sets of masts. They seem to be on heading east or a little south of east. Main engine control from bridge. Main engine control, aye, aye. I want steam available for full power as quickly, Horn, but don't blow your emergency horn, but call... In all battle stations, Lieutenants McAndrews and Adams lay up to the bridge. Bridge from Sky Lookout. Sail identified as three transports and one destroyer. Destroyer in lead with transports in column astern. We are closing range. Find something, Skipper? Professor, you're just the man I want. I'm going to need a little fast translating. Break out that Jap signal book and stand by. What's on your mind? Max, suppose you were in friendly waters and you'd been at sea a long time. What would you be most interested in? That's easy. Mail from home. Would you say that Jap sailors feel the same way? Any sailor does. Now, Professor, look in your signal book and figure out the code for... I have official and general mail for you. You sent for me, sir? Adams, I want you to keep your gun crews and torpedo men out of sight in the turrets. Load the guns, but don't train them out until I give the word. Very well, sir. The range will be 750 yards. The target angle... 270. Let go all four torpedoes in the forward tube of the destroyer, but don't use the after tubes till I say so. Aye, aye, sir. Wait a minute. What are we going to do? Sail smack in the middle of that convoy? That's a good guess, Mac. We're going to pay them a friendly little visit and blow those seagoing lice out of the water. We'll be overhauling her in another five minutes. I'd feel safer. That sun would set. All right, Max. Send her your mail signal. Let's see. General Post Office Mail, November 18th. Here it is. I hope this is right. Okay, let's play post office. You haven't missed so far. One miss is all you get, lad. All right, Tojo, here we come. Answer. What do they say? Oh, wait a minute. I mean, sir. Wait a minute. Here it is. Come alongside, port side two, and deliver your mail. You've done it, Mac. You've done it. Maybe it's a trap. Not with those troops lining the rails. Look at them, thousands of them. What's the range? 800 yards. Flank speed. Main engine control from bridge. Flank speed. Commence firing. Commence firing. He hit it, he hit it, Laird That Jap bridge just flew apart the torpedoes? Number one is broached, is running wild What about the other three? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute They're running true, I can see their wakes 
It's gone. The whole plane ship's gone. There just isn't anything there. Full right rudder. Full right rudder. Aye, aye. Shift fire to the leading transport. Shift fire to the leading transport. That, Connor. Flames leaping from the forward superstructure. Hard right rudder, cross her bow. Hard right rudder, aye, aye. Put one torpedo into each transport. Fire one torpedo into each transport. The transport's beginning to sheer out of column. They're firing at us. They haven't a chance. Don't be too sure. That ought to finish off transport number one. Got her right under the foremast. She's settling already. Down by the head. Left 15 degrees rudder. Take it between the two remaining ships. Left 15 degrees rudder. Aye, aye. Torpedo exploded amidships on second transport. Keep pumping shells into them. Continue main battery fire. Third ship hit well aft. Her whole stern seems to be falling off. Double back. Give those hulks another shelling. And then let's get out of here. The sea, as we sped eastward into the darkness, looked like a scene out of Dante's Inferno. At midnight, we picked up a Jap radio directive. I set McAndrews to decoding it. I'll be through in a minute, Skipper. Eight degrees north, latitude. All right, here it is. Any destroyer of the Akakatsi class found east of 150 degrees east longitude and south of eight degrees north latitude is to be sunk on sight. Well, that's us. Well, the dogs are baying, Mac. By morning, they'll be gunning for us with everything they can float or fly. Double a watch, Mac. Tell the crews to sleep at their guns. We'll serve breakfast at battle stations at sunrise. Sunrise? You think we'll ever see another sunrise? Listen, Mac, at sunrise, we'll be out of enemy waters. I was wrong about that sunrise. At 0322, the hokey dokey was 154 degrees 20 minutes east longitude and 2 degrees 15 minutes north latitude when we got it. torpedo finished the hokey-dokey. At noon the next day, we made out from our lifeboats a mast on the horizon. And 20 minutes later, we were scrambling up the cargo nets of a Mayo-class destroyer. When I told her skipper our story and asked him how he happened to be in that neck of Jap-infested seas, he replied, Well, Commander, we're part of a task force. Tomorrow morning, we're going to capture Macon Island. Those convoys were obviously Jap reinforcements, and by sinking them, you cooked Macon's goose. The Japs won't have time to get another convoy there before we hit that place like a cyclone. Thank you, Frank Lovejoy and Everett Sloan. In just a moment, Commander William Chambliss, author of the book Boomerang, upon which tonight's cavalcade play was based, will speak to our audience. Now, here is Ted Pearson speaking for DuPont with a story of nylon at work. 
Through the stormy night sky just before dawn on D-Day morning, scores of gliders filled with heavily armed airborne troops were towed across the channel from hidden bases in England. All that joined them to the tow planes up ahead were glistening ropes no thicker than your finger, ropes that had withstood the terrific strain when the planes left the ground and tugged the gliders into the air behind them, ropes that withstood the bumps and jerks as planes and gliders pitched in the rough air. Then, over Normandy, the gliders released, spiraled quietly down through the blackness. Their Tommy guns ready out poured the first troops of the invasion. The slim, strong ropes that pull troop-carrying gliders through the air are made of nylon. The reason only nylon is used in such ropes goes back to early experiments made in the United States a number of years ago in picking up air mail nonstop. Mail sacks were attached to a rope stretched between two tall poles and a mail plane dragging a grapnel hook swooped down and snatched them into the air. But the impact at the moment the hook caught the rope was so great that it snapped rope after rope. Manila rope failed, so did braided materials, rubber rope, even steel cable. Nylon was tried. It worked. It absorbed the enormous strain, gave a little like a, like a tempered spring, and lifted the mail sack smoothly into the air. So today, it's nylon rope that serves as the connecting line between tow planes and gliders, carrying airborne troops, jeeps, field mortars, and other equipment and supplies. The same strength and elasticity which gave nylon stockings and foundation garments their superiority in peacetime has provided our airborne troops with superior glider tow ropes. When the needs of the armed services are satisfied... DuPont will again make nylon yarn for stockings in larger quantities than ever before. Until then, glider tow ropes, parachutes, and many other articles needed by the Army and Navy get all of the nylon from DuPont, maker of better things for better living through chemistry. And now here is Commander William C. Chambliss, United States Naval Reserve, author of the book Boomerang. Commander Chambliss. Since Boomerang appeared in the Saturday Evening Post and was purchased for the movies, there has been one question asked of me many times. Is Boomerang a true story? Well, the truth of the matter is, Boomerang is fiction. And despite the continued skepticism of even some of my brother officers... In Boomerang, I tried to present a picture of the manner in which our fighting men at sea are operating. A picture of the sort of men they are. The greater number of those aboard the little ship in the story were of the Naval Reserve. This is typical of the Navy today. Most of our Naval Reserve officers and men are new to the service. They brought to the solution of their problems the vast wealth of ingenuity and courage which enabled them in civilian life to contribute to the greatness of America. But we are also mindful of the impressive task performed by our shipmates of the regular Navy. Through years of lean appropriations and public apathy, they kept alive the spirit of the Navy, kept up to date the store of technical knowledge so essential to the operation of a complex modern fleet. When the time came to create, almost literally overnight, the greatest sea force history has ever known, our shipmates of the regular Navy were ready. 
ready to stand off the enemy and to train hundreds of thousands of brand new men needed for our expanding fleet. We pridefully marvel at the magnificent job being done by a Navy predominantly composed of officers and men new to the service. But we also bear in mind that the leadership, inspiration, and guidance of our thinly spread nucleus of regular Navy officers was the one element which made this work possible. Whether regular or reserve, we are all Navy in time of war. Together, we sail onward to victory. Next Monday evening, Cavalcade presents Lovely Lady, the unusual story of a strategic military mission in Italy that was carried through not with guns, tanks, or planes, but with jackhammers, shovels, tractors, brawn, and ingenuity. A mission that was successfully accomplished with the aid of an ex-tightrope walker, a G.I. and his bulldozer, fondly named Lovely Lady. This evening's Cavalcade Orchestra was conducted by Donald Voorhees. For the use of the material upon which tonight's play was based, the Cavalcade of America is indebted to the 20th Century Fox Film Corporation, which will soon present the Darrell F. Zanuck Technicolor motion picture production, Wilson. This is Roland Winters sending best wishes from Cavalcade sponsor, the E.I. DuPont de Nemours Company of Wilmington, Delaware. Here is a message of particular interest and importance to every soldier. The Army wants more paratroopers. Paratroopers have made a brilliant record in this war, and theater commanders have asked for more of these troops. Volunteers are once more being accepted for immediate training by the parachute troops of the United States Army. Paratroopers receive $50 extra per month in base pay, officers $100 extra per month. Soldiers who think they can qualify for the paratroops should apply to their company commanders now. The Cavalcade of America came to you from New York. This is the National Broadcasting Company.